You're listening to the Startup Finance Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show entirely focused on helping you to build a financially fit and fundable business. On this show, we connect you with finance aficionados to impart their expertise to help your business grow. The Startup Finance Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe to this Startup Finance Podcast through iTunes and Google Play Music. This podcast is presented in partnership with MasterCard, a technology company in the global payments industry. MasterCard's global payments processing network connects consumers, financial institutions, merchants, governments in more than 210 countries and territories. MasterCard products and solutions make everyday commerce activities such as shopping, traveling, running a business, and even managing your finances easier, more secure, and more efficient. I am your host, Dr. Sean Wise, Professor of Entrepreneurship at Ryerson University. I bring more than 19 years experience in seed investing, including five seasons spent supporting CBC's Dragon's Den. I've published dozens of articles for Profit, Inc., and even Canadian Business, as well as several best-selling books on venture capital, entrepreneurship, and pitching ideas. Want to connect with me after this podcast? Join me at 100stepstostartup.com. We are thrilled to have Deborah Sweeney on the show today. Deborah is the CEO and owner of My Corporation, a complete online provider of filing services for small businesses and entrepreneurs. Deborah is an attorney turned entrepreneur, something we both have in common, who's used her multifaceted background composed of law and business to lead My Corporation to become one of the most trusted online filing companies. With a hard focus on customer experiences, Deborah works to ensure her services are fast and comprehensive so entrepreneurs can focus on what they do best, running their business. In today's episode of the Startup Finance Podcast, we We'll talk to Deborah about her incredible acquisition journey, her business partnerships, and how she manages her business finances. Welcome to the show, Deborah Sweeney. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We could talk about so many things, and, and I'm so excited to talk about it, but, but let me just ask you this. What learnings do you want our listeners to walk away with today? Well, I think that having a, a unique entrepreneurial journey from law to entrepreneur, uh, the learnings would be about how to transition from one career to another, how to bootstrap a business, uh, and take maybe a less traditional path than others might take to entrepreneurship. Oh, uh, if we can get all that done in a half hour, I will be one happy professor. So what's really unusual about your, your, your journey, if I'm not mistaken, is that you spun it out of a larger entity where, where most people get acquired by Intuit. You guys were birthed through Intuit. So tell us about that journey and your role in it. Sure. So our company, MyCorporation.com was actually acquired by Intuit back uh, in early 2000s. And I ran the division under Intuit uh, and ran it for five years. And then ultimately in 2009, when the economy was having some issues and I had seen now five years of small acquisitions, divestitures of um, different divisions within the company, I 
thought to myself, um, I had young children at the time. I was traveling extensively for the corporate role that I had. And my husband and I one day said, he's an entrepreneur. And he said, you know, I wonder if you offered to buy it out, they might sell it because they're in this mode of divesting around um, economic issues. And so I threw it out there in a meeting I had one day with the leadership. And no, they weren't really interested. And actually, they thought it was quite funny. Uh, And within eight months, they said, you know, we actually are considering divesting multiple small, smaller uh, divisions. And so give us your best proposal. And they wanted me to look at it very um, unbiased fashion, basically to say, well, if I bought it, this, this and that, uh, or if it was sold because there was another offer to purchase the company um, by one of our competitors. So I had to analyze it. And of course, um, I tried to be as unbiased as I could be, but I certainly was most uh, focused on the acquisition by me because I felt that I could be the best position to run the company outside of Intuit. And now, ultimately, why, why did you think that, that you could run it better or make it more viable or make it more profitable outside than inside? Well, we had all of the resources in the world at Intuit to test and learn, uh, and we were growing. It was not a problem of growth, but it was a profitability issue, and then also just all of the expenses within a large corporate environment are significant. Uh, And so I felt like we would be more nimble, be able to adjust to what we needed to to focus on the small business and entrepreneur and make changes to our site, uh, be able to offer annuity services that weren't kind of in the ballywick of the corporate structure. And so that's how I felt. I mean, I was confident I would be as successful as we were in, into it. And I felt like we would be able to make changes that would ultimately increase our offering uh, and improve it outside. And that that is what actually ended up happening, thankfully. But it isn't what you knew was going to happen with 100% certainty. No. So I would be <laughs> remiss if I didn't ask you about your own internal conflicts, your own internal fears at that time, because we don't need to know the numbers, what you bought it for or any of that. But it's being run by a multinational, one that has a long history of, of sort of lean startup before it was even called that. Uh, and now you're going to take it, you're going to take it on your own. You're going to have to service the same kind of clients, the same kind of level. But the, how did that feel? I was freaking out. But on the other hand, I've always had this maybe insane, naive approach to life. Like I got this and Maybe I felt like I had a long running board ahead of me with learnings. Being within Intuit was one of the single best experiences of my life being a lawyer, simply because I never had this sort of corporate um, approach to business. So I felt like I learned a ton about finance, about marketing, every thing within Intuit gave me, they had centers of excellence. So a ton of learning. So I thought, well, I had five years of springboard to jump off of uh, and learn from. And I knew what we did well. One of the biggest changes I was focused on was how to um, create an, a long-term value for our product. Um, and so how not way- to make it just transactional, Not, not don't just let me incorporate through you, but have me come back quarterly or weekly or annually? Yes. And that is the single piece that kept us alive because 
we definitely decreased order units, new inbound orders after I bought the company because I just couldn't spend $10 million on marketing to make $8 million, right? I needed to right size our marketing expenditures. So when you decrease marketing pretty quickly, your new orders are going to decrease unless you have some other strategy. So my strategy was, okay, I know our new orders are going to decrease, but we're going to offer a long-term value service. And we're going to focus on customer service and great relationships. And that is what we did. And through that, we were able to sustain with uh, products like annual report filings for businesses, uh, document storage, those things that keep a business wanting to come back to our service. And then, of course, really answering the questions they had as small business owners and providing fantastic partnerships. So, you know, a customer might choose to come to us instead of one of our competitors because we also offered a free domain name from, you know, one of our partners at Deluxe or um, a good business startup package through Bank of America for opening a bank account. So all of those things became reasons that while our marketing could, we didn't spend as much on marketing, it became a value to our customers. And that's where we found success. Well, you've also found great success in keeping into it as a close business partner. Uh, some people don't do so well once they leave the mothership. Over time, people change, leadership changes, and sometimes friction arises. What's your advice for building and maintaining a, such a strong strategic business partnership? Yeah, I believe that I have really focused on listening to what partners need. And instead of, I feel that a lot of people come to us with the what can you do for me approach, and that's normal. But I feel like we've spent a significant amount of our energy trying to identify how we can add value to the clients of our partners. So um, like at Intuit, for example, QuickBooks uh, has a situation where, or TurboTax, you have an opportunity to determine if you would save taxes if you were an S-corporation. And it's a simple uh, technology thing that's built into their system. And when that happens, someone says, yes, I would save money. Now, where do I go to actually be an S corporation? And that's where we add value. Or um, we have a great partnership with some payroll providers like Paychecks. And for example, those clients need us because when they're onboarding for payroll, they want to be an S corporation and they need their state ID registration. So we identify, we listen to where we can plug in and be valuable, not necessarily just to the corporate environment, but to their clients. How do we make onboarding of their clients easier? And that is where I think we have found a unique value proposition that most of our competitors don't really think about. They think more about the, the, ultimately, your clients might be small business clients. So they may want to start a bank account or they may need a domain name or they may need to incorporate. But all of those services. So it's more of like a referral relationship. But we're thinking more deeply, how is this a barrier to onboarding for your product and how could we solve those problems? And that is where we've differentiated and found great success. You know, I, and I think it's it, it, it's quite true that if you can focus on what's in it for the other person, as Dale Carnegie said all those years ago and how to win friends and influence people, they have their own businesses to run. They, you have to keep their priorities alongside yours to align. Now, how did you know all of this? I mean, you at Intuit, they were doing customer discovery. They do a lot of uh, lean startup work, a lot of design thinking. But but at my corporation, you've really focused on, on that customer experience. So, so, so why is is that and what do you think it's brought to your company that others could learn from? Sure. Well, I think it's no secret that our probably our, our biggest competitor is LegalZoom, and I kept thinking 
I really try hard not to focus on identifying what our competitors are doing and following it. I try to think about how could we when we heard complaints about what they were doing, what were they about and why? And how could we do something different so that instead of competing um, with a company that was willing to spend $100 million to make less, you know, they weren't focused on profit, they were focused on growth. How could I differentiate? And that's where this whole mindset of focusing on customer service and building relationships with our clients came in, is when they're complaining about a competitor, it's usually because they didn't respond in time or they didn't actually they thought they were incorporated but they weren't actually incorporated and so it that's where we thought mm-hmm. okay we could get better at messaging we could get better at them being able to log in and see their status we could get better at you know providing insight to what to expect and even though that cost us more in the short term right time and human resources we, in the long term we felt it would keep those annuity uh, services running it keeps the clients wanting to work with us. And that is what makes all the difference. I think they talk about it as like a bucket. Uh, Before you fill your bucket with sales leads, make sure there's not a hole in the bottom. If you're not Ah. giving good customer experience, good customer satisfaction, then they won't be your customers for long. That is so true. (laughs) You talk about knowing what's coming and trying to figure out what's next. You went from law, I'm also a washed up lawyer, to, to private, to entrepreneurship, a road I know firsthand how difficult it could be. You had a partner who was already entrepreneurial. Did that help prepare you or was it still just a massive learning curve? It did help prepare me. I feel that um, having someone who had gone through this and I, I saw life balance and enjoyment, uh, personal value associated with this business, it made me feel like, wow, this is a, a place I want to be. I feel like in my law firm, I was a partner. So I had I had to develop my own business. I had the mindset of what it took to build a business within an, an organization. Uh, and then I had the neat training that I described earlier from Intuit, which is really about those centers of excellence who gave me uh, ideas and theories, feedback on every area of the business itself. Uh, and then I think nothing can prepare you for now you have 45 employees who are relying on you to pay their paychecks and, uh, you know, keep a good attitude, even when you're not sure you have a good attitude about it. Um, But I do think having um, a good mindset and an entrepreneurial family background, I think that really helped me. Was there anything you weren't prepared for? Was there, was there any costs or or things you hadn't really thought was going to happen? And and, and what did you do to deal with them? I think some of the biggest things that I experienced in terms of costs were really just the physical location, the phones, the technology, um, realizing that wiring everybody's computers is really expensive. Uh, and I just didn't, I don't think that those were things I had thought about. I thought, oh, we all have computers and off we go. But all of that, the intellectual property piece behind it, the technology was something that I wasn't prepared for. The other piece, but it served me well, is even just basic insurance from business insurance to uh, healthcare insurance. All of that is really, really expensive for an entrepreneur. Uh, and I feel that that has been something I've had to really adjust to and recognize uh, and not feel so frustrated about and realize is there as a resource uh, when we need it. But it, it has been something that was surprising to me when I came out on my own. The two things, technology and insurance, were huge expenses. Yeah. 
one thing you might have been more experienced with than some first-time founders is is the financial statement aspect. Although you were running a, a group, a division, so you understand profit and loss statements, which are you know sisters and cousins to balance sheets. But how did you manage that transition where you were now? It's your business, so financial statements aren't just you know what do I need to fill out for the government, but they're how well are we doing? How to use them as a dashboard? I mean, what are your tips for for those early days and staying organized and keeping on top of things? I feel like that really evolved over time. I must say that when I started out, I did not think, I always had an eye for the balance sheet, um, but I didn't have an eye as much for the KPIs, the key performance indicators within our business. I didn't really know what we were measuring and what was a priority to measure um, and how that related to the balance sheet in the PL. And I've worked really hard at learning. I think a lot of your P&L and balance sheet analysis evolve with your business. And our business was simpler when I came out eight years ago than it is today in terms of the product lines and the different SKU numbers or offerings that we have. And so we've definitely gotten more every year we meet um, and more frequently, obviously, with my internal finance team, but with external professionals who give me good feedback on maybe you should be thinking about it like this, or maybe um, these are passed through costs and these are not. And so getting that expert feedback from different people who have are experts in their fields has been very valuable to me. And I think as with anything, it evolves over time. I definitely didn't know as much as I know today, but even today, I think there's two things. One is I, I'm sure there's a lot I don't know in what the best ways to run a business and manage your P&L, but the other thing is things change. And so I think my my willingness to adjust to finance pieces as they change within a business have been has been beneficial to me. I don't feel like I know it all. I don't feel proud, <laughs> um, too proud to get good feedback uh, and accept it. And I think that's been a value for our business. Now, leverage buyouts or, you know, spinning out a company from inside another company are, are not often inexpensive. Uh, what's been your experience with financing and getting external sources of capital? What have you had to deal with since leaving uh, the mothership? Sure. Well, when I first, when we first spun out in order to finance it, we literally went to the bank, my husband and I, and said, look, my husband has this business and it's, you know, worth this much and we have some property and can we please get a loan to buy this business? And, you know, everyone kind of thought that was nuts because it was 2009 and the banks weren't, you know, financing much at all. And uh, I will never forget I thought it was, again, going back to my naive belief in myself and my ability to make things happen. I thought, well, of course we're going to get a loan. I mean, there's that, that would just happen. We have great credit and whatever. And yeah. evidently, it was very unusual. And we were able to get a bank loan. And it, the whole a slew of people from the bank came out and shook our hands and said, congratulations. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I didn't even know it was an issue. I thought, of course, I was going to get it. So um, I, that has been my experience in terms of banking. We've completely been able to pay off that loan. And right now, I'm fortunate to have no debt. We've very much bootstrapped the business um, and I reinvest in our profit into growth. And that's where our experience has been from development and finding we spent a ton of money on technology and how we automate our systems. Uh, and all of that has been through internal growth. So I haven't sought outside investors outside of the, the bank experience that we had. I do find, though, lots of 
um, investors, private equity are interested in acquiring businesses or being invested in businesses like ours simply because of the annuity services. Frankly, I think being a woman-owned business and entrepreneur is a value nowadays. Uh, people are looking to back businesses that are unique and maybe have different um, ownership. So I think that, that that's been sort of my experience to date on in that area. Well, and I think the fact that you have traction and you have experience with growth and you've taken a lot of the risk yourself is probably uh, speaking volumes to the investment community as well. Tell me about bootstrapping and and what people listening to this who are also resource challenged or who are also, uh, you know, testing the waters of new products or new uh, marketplace. Tell me about bootstrapping and, and how you do it more as a philosophy than, than an explicit. And then I bring my lunch to every day to work. Sure. I I really think it's about failing quickly, right? I learn, we try things, we see what works, and then I really focus on return on investment with bootstrapping. So I decide, when we came out of Intuit, we were spending a lot of money on radio advertising, some television advertising, and then my ROI on that was very low. And I realized, oh, my ROI on... uh, paid search that's retargeted is far higher. My ROI on spending the money to travel to meet with partners who then use us as their backend service is far better. So I think from my perspective, bootstrapping was really about having a keen eye toward where are we finding success and doing more of that and other things like not hiring more employees than we need and really getting everybody on board with that understanding. I'd rather give everybody here who's working hard raises, then bring in extra employees because you've had a really busy couple days. Because uh, often it happens where people come in, oh, we need help, we don't have enough resources. Uh, and I share this message with them. Look, this is we're, this is a company where, you know, bringing in another resource impacts the the, those who are already here, right? There's less to go around. So we're going to grow. And the more we grow, if the, we bring more resources in, the less there is to give to those who are already here. And I think getting them to be their own entrepreneurs in their own minds has been valuable. So looking at it from a marketing perspective, trying to really spend as little as we can from a technology's perspective, but also know that that's a focus of ours to grow. And then also from a human resources standpoint, how do we make sure that our team understands that you know, our growth is going to come from internal. We don't have outside resources. I sort of joke sometimes when they say, um, oh, we need, you know, extra creamer and we all need three monitors. Like, well, you know, who is funding this? Who do you think is funding this? And sometimes they think, oh, yeah, you know, I realize that that's you and that comes from maybe you know, would impact their ultimate take home at the end of the year, the types of bonuses and raises that they get. So I try to help keep that in perspective as they have all of these wants. Everyone wants a certain color pen or they all want these very creamer in the refrigerator all the time. And so we try to make things as happy as possible, but I also want to make sure that they're recognizing that, you know, money is not endless. Well, I think that's an important thing to recognize. And I think you've also mentioned what uh, I know a recent startup genome report had, which was premature scaling, you know, hiring salespeople before the fulfillment or product is right or getting ahead of yourself can actually kill your business really quickly. 
But how do you make those decisions? You know, you were talking, one of the key questions people often ask is, is what if there's so much to do, should I be focused on? You know, should I be outsourcing my incorporation, my taxes, my bookkeeping, and focusing on sales and product development? You know, how do you decide what should be done inside your house or your business and what should be done outside? Whether that be the marketing or, or whether that be the back end. I think we test and learn a lot. So we had a market, a full-time marketing team in-house, and then we recognized that some things needed to be here. They needed company knowledge and experience from marketing perspective, but some things like paid search does not need to be here. We meet weekly um, for a half an hour with our paid search team. And we actually went with, instead of a large company, with a single consultant who uh, does the work and it's a lot less expensive. So that's an example where I learned, okay, I tried it in-house. It was very expensive. We outsourced it. It worked better. We outsourced it to a large company. It worked less good. We then found an individual who understood our business, but still worked for multiple other businesses uh, as an independent contractor consultant. And so that was where our home run was. And the same would be true with our technology. We have a group that's in-house and we try to outsource the majority of it with only three team members in-house. That was not as good. Uh, And then we brought in, uh, we took our overseas team and we shrunk them a little bit and then grew our internal team. And now we have a balance where it's about 50-50 and it seems to work perfectly. So I would answer your question by saying it's trial and error in many ways, what's working and what's not. We had, um, you know, we hire a, a leader in a particular role here and then we realize, oh, wow, that's a very expensive endeavor for less gain. We need people instead of just leaders, we need doers. And we, so every time we have every hire, we have every decision we make kind of matters and we pay attention to it. And then we make adjustments based on what we learn from those things. Well, I think that's a, that's a great piece of advice, you know, launch early, fail fast, iterate often, test everything. Yep. Uh, I don't want to oversimplify it because it's a lot harder in reality. Um, let's talk about a reality. You, you raised the point earlier about uh, winder, women, the gender gap in technology, leadership. Why do you think it's taken the world so long to figure out that by including diverse mindsets, you get more innovation, more product by sticking to all the same cookie cutter you don't? I mean, in Canada, it's it's a problem. In other places in the world, it's a huge problem. But, but why is that in 2018, we're still discussing that? I don't know. I, it's crazy. I was just writing an article the other day on something very similar that... 30 years ago today, women were given the right to co-sign for their own business loans. Before that, to sign individually. Before that, they had to have a male co-signer. I'm like thinking, that's in my lifetime. That's 30 years ago. That's insane. And so I feel like- it is. I couldn't even, anyway, but the point, your point is well taken, right? How has it taken so long? And I do find, I think all my career, so I'm in my early 40s and I um, came out of law school in my, at 23, and I've never really experienced a detriment for being a female in business simply because um, I think around that time that there were companies, law firms, com- corporate environments, I'm on a few boards looking for women to diversify. And I think 
now more and more people are seeing the value, not just in females per se, but just diverse perspectives, like you mentioned. Um, and we find that, for example, in our industry, uh, we learn from every different perspective, right? Um, people who come from different cultures and different backgrounds and help us understand what businesses are thinking about. And and that's very different for uh, certain genders or different cultures. And I think that that's been very valuable to us. And I imagine so many businesses would find value in it. They just need to get beyond um, where they are today. My experience at Intuit was very positive in that regard, where leaders of all types were welcomed, in fact, encouraged, um, and often looking for women to take on more leadership roles. I think the one caveat I see and I experience through a lot of my female colleagues that I graduated from law school is they feel this push. I don't know that they want to be in the corporate environment because it takes them away from the possibility of spending more time with their families, for example. And the push I felt was significant, right? I would be traveling with my kids and my mom um, to all of these corporate events, and it was a lot for me. And so entrepreneur life has been far better in its flexibility. So I often, in response to the book, lean in, you know, do more at, in your corporate environment. You can reach a leadership level. I think you absolutely can. Um, but I sometimes feel like reaching up is a better approach, right? Finding for me, it was about looking to things differently, being an entrepreneur, being the master of my own destiny. That is where I found um, success. And so I think maybe it's not just diving in deeper to corporate roles, but about thinking more strategically as, as women on how we can find success in our lives. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I think one of the things you're already doing by, by putting yourself out there, by showing people what you do, you, you become a role model, not just for, for, for young women leaders, but for other people to see the, the benefits of different perspectives. And I, and I really have to congratulate you. You know, Deborah, I, I could speak to you all day and I hope one day we'll get that chance, but uh, there's only 30 minutes in the show and we're going to have to wrap, wrap up. Any final words of advice for our listeners today? I know it sounds silly, but I always believe in keeping a good attitude, treating people right. And when people ask, why did uh, Intuit turn to give me the business or sell me the business over others? It was because I came with a, a genuine care for the business, for my approach to life and to people. And I think that sometimes that's undervalued in business or people don't recognize the importance of that. And I, I believe that when you're an entrepreneur, when you treat others right and you think strategic, you mentioned earlier that you put your clients and your partner's priorities first. That can be the difference. And so I believe that as my parting words, I would say that it's not always about dog eat dog and get the most money and beat your competitors. Sometimes it's about uh, prioritization and treating people right and doing the right thing. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to providing entrepreneurs with advice and experiences on startup finance. Want to access more resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca to gain access to support, resources, and events. And be sure while you're there to check out all the other original Startup Canada podcast series on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. 